As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stayskull. He is Paul Tenorio. Wow, I changed up the intro. That was unintentional. Recording this earlier than usual. I'm I'm not even halfway through my first cup of coffee, so maybe that explains it. Paul, tell the people how you're doing. Well, you know, I'm in a great headspace because I wrote about Christian Pulisic yesterday. So, or I guess it ran today. And what that usually does is it it makes you um, a complete idiot from whichever side somebody reads that story from. So a complete I'm, idiot. I'm starting the show off as just like a complete idiot. Wow. Who doesn't know anything about football. Well, you could never make it at Chelsea. You're not Which, you know, listeners of allocation disorder will know is true. It's yes, true. indeed. They, they've known that for years now, haven't they? Yeah. Anyone who's listening to this podcast has known that I'm an idiot for at least two years. <laughs> and the, the people who are Chelsea fans. Two and a half. I think we're going on two and a half now. Two and a half. Uh, years, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are an idiot. It's true. Um, good news. I'm also an idiot, judging by the response to my latest article. Although I also might be a genius. It really depends on how you look at things. Again, we'll talk, we'll talk listeners about that the allocation later in the show. Know. Yeah. They know. <laughs> we'll talk You're... about that later in the show. We're going to talk about Christian Pulisic, of course, and the rumors excuse me, not the rumors, the reports connecting him with Manchester United. Um, And we're also going to talk a little bit about the San Jose earthquakes. We've gotten a little spicy talking about the quakes in the past on this show earlier this year when they fired Matias Almeida. They now have a full-time replacement for Matias Almeida in Luchi Gonzalez, um, a hire that, well, I'll save it for later, but uh, we'll we'll talk about that. Kind of have a full-time replacement. I mean, they will have, they've decided on a full-time replacement. How about that? Yeah, it's a full-time replacement that's part-time right now. I mean, he's not part-time at all. I don't think he's an employee yet, is he? <laughs> I don't know. And anyway, we don't, we'll get into that later. But we're going to start with the big news of the week, and that is Christian Pulisic potentially going to Manchester United on loan from Chelsea. Uh, Paul, he has not played much. I think it's a half hour in the first two games of the season for Chelsea. They obviously have Raheem Sterling, Thomas Tuchel. His system doesn't really account for attacking wingers all that much they play narrower there those attackers uh and he doesn't really seem to rate christian pulisic all that highly he likes him in in terms of what he brings off the bench i think it's fair to say 
Um, but you know, throughout the course of his time at the club, Tuchel's time at the club, which is overlapped with Pulisic's, hasn't really played him much as a starter. Uh, Pulisic, of course, has dealt with injuries throughout that time as well, bears mentioning. Um, but what do you make of this news? What do you think about it from the perspective of Christian Pulisic? What do you make of it from the perspective of the USMNT? And actually, just just start with Pulisic, and we'll get into the national team stuff later. Yeah, One question. I, mean, I think I think for Christian... You know, a move, the way I wrote this, it, it's very clear that, like, I, I will say credit to Christian Pulisic because I think we have learned about, like, his mentality at his, during this time at, at Chelsea. Like, there's, you know, yes, he went for a lot of money, but there's never been, like, a job handed to him. He's never been a favorite, either of Frank, neither of Frank Lampard nor Tuchel. Um, upon arrival at, at Chelsea, the, the manager who had, been at Chelsea when they signed him. Sorry, was already on his way back or on his way to Juventus. And, you know, Christian has fought through being benched and and being, um, you know, behind others in the pecking order multiple times. And I think that's a credit to him. He's not, um, he's not backed away from that challenge and nor can you, right? If you go to a club like Chelsea, like you have to understand that you're constantly going to be fighting for your place in the team, especially as an attacking player. And so I think that, I think that that's been there from Christian, but I also understand that after, you know, three years of, of that constantly feeling like he's trying to prove himself, never feeling like he's been given the same amount of like the length of leash as other attacking players at the club that, you know, he's kind of hit a breaking point. And, and when they started signing other wingers and, you know, reports were coming out that Tuchel didn't trust Christian and, you know, now the first two games of the season, you know, he's played 30 minutes total. I, I get that it's kind of hit a breaking point of like, okay, maybe the best thing is to look for for another club to play uh, more consistently. I think we've seen across leagues this year that the World Cup in November has had a heavy influence on people looking for consistent minutes to prepare for the World Cup. Um, and, you know, I, what I, what I think is most interesting about this is that it would be a loan move which I think significantly decreases the risk for Christian Pulisic to go anywhere because you can still come back to Chelsea in a year and who knows if Tuchel's even going to be the manager. Um, so it's, it's got a lot of interesting dynamics here. Sam, Sam, you're on mute, my friend. You're on I've mute. muted myself. I was looking up things on the internet while you were talking <laughs> so I could better research. And, you know, in an effort to prepare, I left myself unprepared to speak. So here we are. Um, Paul, I, I hear what you're saying and and I, I get it. I think it makes oh I make I think it makes some sense for him. I think there is risk in going to Manchester United. Like talk about a team that's in shambles right now. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't really get worse than the start that they had. I understand what you're saying about the loan situation. They have high profile attacking players. They haven't been performing super well, but you have pretty strong competition there. And Jaden Sancho, the guy who kind of took Christian Pulisic's job at Dortmund at the end there. Who and, to be fair has been very not good at Manchester United. Yeah. And, and, and Marcus Rashford as well. Um, but you know, I'm looking at, I'm looking at some of Pulisic's stats. He, he has 117 appearances with Chelsea, 25 goals, 19 assists across all competitions in that time. Decent numbers for a winger, especially when you consider the bulk of those games have not been starts. Um, it's just such a bizarre situation. And I think a lot of this really goes back to the fact that Chelsea paid too much money for him in the first place. 
70 yeah. million dollars that price tag carries a certain weight of expectation and it does not carry a guy who's a platoon starter like that needs to be a star star attacking player even at a team like chelsea with that kind of price tag and i think that's sort of thrown things out of whack for pulisic with his expectations a little bit um I don't know what you think about that. You're, I, you're kind I, of I, 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 I think so, but I think yes and no. I think yes, like partly, of course, that number means that the expectation is that you're incredibly productive and you're a starter. But again, like I said, I mean, he arrived at Chelsea and very quickly was not that, right? Right, like, right. There was also... Like, it's thrown everything about like the lens through which we think of him there. I but think but I think the that. lens is different because he was American. Like I think there was a That's huge part of narrative that that price tag only existed on Christian Pulisic because he was American. Uh, do do you not think that was part of it? I don't know. I, I don't know, but I can say that like it, it then it reframes that discussion. Like typically a player who's a $70 million player, no matter who you are, you're, st- you're put into the starting lineup and you're, you're treated that way. And mm-hmm. like, it wasn't the case for Christian in that sense. I mean, he did start for Lampard, but like it was very clear that he wasn't favored to guys like Mason Mount. And that's fine. That's fine. I'm not, again, I, I have no problem I think, with I like. I think by the end he was. He was oh, by the end for sure. Yeah, he started yeah. He started to play consistently. And that was yeah. actually his best run of form at Chelsea was towards the end at Frank Lampard. They start, you know, they didn't see eye to eye early on. They started to get on much better as the season wore on. Mm-hmm. And Christian became a consistent starter, was producing for them, playing well. And then, of course, the next season starts. They start poorly. Lampard gets fired. Um, and Tuchel comes in. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, when we're talking about Christian, I think we need to recognize there's there's two dynamics at play here. Christian has never grabbed hold of that job. He's never been so good that you're like, right. you can't bench him. Or he has, but in spurts, right? There's always... Yeah, it hasn't been quite consistent. It hasn't been, like, consistent across the season. But when you look at the numbers of, like, the level of the performance for all players at his position... He's been the same as pretty much everyone else. Like every other player is the same mm-hmm. at Chelsea as well. Nobody has grabbed hold of those jobs. And so, yeah, it does lead to this weird situation of like, I think the debate is, you know, should Christian be better than those players? Like, should he, should he as a $70 million player be the guy? But a lot of those guys have massive price tags too. Sure. You know, he's not the only one. So it, it is just like this weird dynamic. And I think, you know, and I didn't go into this in the story, but like, you know, Christian, by by moving to Chelsea, it changed the ceiling of what we think of American players, especially at the age he moved. He was 20 years old, right? But I think part of our discussion around Christian that we're having now that we've been having for the last three years, you know, I think this is relatively normal for players at clubs like this, you know, not not the, the biggest, biggest stars who have, who are consistent consistent but like young dynamic players at big clubs like we can have the same conversation about Jaden sancho about marcus rashford who's gotten off to a bad start even I an mean, older guy raheem sterling who did so much for manchester city but then kind of fell out of the regular rotation last season yeah and it's it's just again it comes down to like it's very difficult when you're at really big clubs because they can afford to easily replace you yeah and i think that's a part of this conversation as well that christian is not I don't. I just don't think Christian's that different than, you know, the guys around him at Chelsea certainly, yeah. and yeah. and the guys that he would be going and joining at Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question is like, I think it kind of boils down to like, do you think that he will get well that he can reach 
better form at a club where he'll where he will play more consistently and play at his preferred left winger in a four three three where he's out and running versus mm-hmm. Chelsea's three four three where he's tucked inside or as a false nine yeah, or as an attacking midfielder. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and and I also quickly just want to say like I had a stat in there based off the data that he didn't play one minute as a left winger, but you know, he does play on the left side for Chelsea fairly consistently, but not in kind of the winger role that he thrived in in, in Germany, right? Like the, the winger role, quote unquote, for Chelsea is a little different. But you know, I I I had to kind of tweak the way I wrote it um because yeah, it painted an unfair picture. Like Christian people Kelsey, were getting mad at you. They were getting a little mad at it, yeah, which yeah. understandably so. I think I didn't do a good enough job of spelling out like the. It's okay, the Paul. Says. We forgive you. We forgive you. Yeah, um, you do. To answer your question, yeah, I think it would be better for him to be in a four-three-three. I think that's where he's best. Play him on the left wing. He had a ton of success there at Dortmund. He's played well there for the United States uh, at times, <laughs> at least. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's his most natural spot. I think that's probably where he's most comfortable. And I think even that fits him. Even Ten Hogs four three three. I mean, it's it's better than in the three four two one. No. Yeah, I, I mean, like you were saying, like Manchester United has been a total mess for the first two games of the season. Sure, I do think you, they'll, do you I think think they'll get be better? better. I think they need to move Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I think they have a lot of work to do. But yeah, I don't think they're going to lose four nothing to Brentford and two one at home to Brighton every single time out. Like, yeah, I think it'll get better. And I think it's a somewhat attractive thing for him to be able to go to and sort of build a narrative that he can come in and be a part of that change. So I think that's interesting. But the bigger point for me here is this is just like a real inflection point for his career. Sure. He is out of contract at the end of the 2023-24 season. So he's got two seasons remaining on his deal or a season and, 36 38ths. Sorry, I didn't reduce that fraction. Um, <laughs> you can do that at home. Uh, so this is really crucial because if he goes on loan and he does really well, well then great. Chelsea can bring him back potentially. They can maybe sell him for a good price either to Manchester United or someone else in the summer and he can continue kind of at this level of club. If he goes and he flops then I think you're having a much different discussion next summer where maybe it's, it's Chelsea. Are, are we going to do another loan? Are we going to just look to extricate ourselves from this and get as much back as we can right now, understanding that it'll be a massive loss from the $70 million we paid in 2019. Do we try and run it back with him under Tuchel or under a different manager? If there's a different manager there. Um, but I think if that happens, then the odds of Christian Pulisic going to, a club at the level of Chelsea, whether in England or elsewhere in Europe, aren't super great. It, it would it would just be interesting. He would have to have kind of a, a reclamation phase of his career. So I think this is a really, really pivotal year and a really, really pivotal move for him because that contract coming up, Chelsea are going to want resolution on it next summer before he gets into the final 12 months of his deal. Well, I think, you know, to get allocation disorder on this, like, yeah, from Christian Pulisic's per- perspective, it's a low risk move, right? To go on loan for a year to Manchester United. If it goes badly, if they don't get better, you go back to Chelsea and yeah, you have, you know, 
a, a landing spot and you walked into a disaster. It's not your fault. It was a mess before you got there and it stayed a mess while you were there. But you're right. From Chelsea's perspective, there's a huge risk, right? Because well, I, I think I think that means it's not low risk for Christian Pulisic. I, I don't know. I, I just think it's like, okay, like really, realistically, if you're going and playing every week at Manchester United. There's versus- no guarantee of that, though. You're taking you're talking about that like it's a given. It's not. Sure. I think he would probably see more minutes regardless. I think you're you know, probably right, but who knows? Just based on the depth chart and the signings. A lot of, a lot of things can happen. But from a, from a Chelsea perspective to what you just said, like from a business perspective, I don't think you – I think if we were talking about any other team in the world, and I, so I think it would be relevant for Chelsea, like you probably don't send him on loan unless you can extend his deal. Like – just to protect yourself because you don't want, because then it's, it's, it's kind of like a lose lose for Chelsea in a way. Like if he goes to Manchester United and tears it up and he comes back to Chelsea on the last year of his contract. Well, no, that you can move him next summer if he tears it up. I think, yes, I think you could. I think it, I think the player has more leverage because, and, and, sure. and other clubs do too, because he's got one year left on this deal. He can leave on a free, but, but he's months. not going to want to hang out at Chelsea for an extra year and not do anything. Yeah, I just think the lever. I think leverage point wise, you're you're probably looking at like, hey, can we do something to kind of extend this to protect ourselves? I mean, especially also because of the World Cup in November. It's another huge stage. If you if you think Christian's going to play well for the U.S. at the World Cup, and all of that stuff factors in. Not that people don't know who Christian Pulisic is. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's it's interesting. The the dynamics of this move. I I'd be curious what the conversations are like behind the scenes because it's also I don't think. I mean, I wanted to research this. I don't know the best way to go about it. But like, it's not very often that you see a loan from one big six team to another. And then like, it'd be an interesting case study to see how many times have we seen like a, like a a squad player, like a rotation player starter at times from one big six team get loaned to another. I can't imagine it's that regular of an occurrence. That sounds like something you should look up, Paul. I I tried yesterday. I was like, it's not an easy thing. Try harder. I will. I'll be back on it. I was busy yesterday, Sam. I had to write this piece that everyone was an idiot. Everyone will find out eventually. I will do the research. I will call upon the brilliant data people at the athletic to help me with the market. Look at the look at the moves for the last however many years for these teams. I'll go I'll go through them after this episode. All right. I don't believe you for a second. Um, There are other clubs rumored to be interested in as well. Newcastle being one of them. Juventus being another Atletico Madrid. Um, Do you think Manchester United is a better fit than any of those teams? I think that Newcastle is an interesting one. There's two ways to look at it. You know, on one hand, I think Eddie Howe has, has been an incredibly, you know, successful and promising manager there. And and I think, you know, that you could say they're at the beginning of a new ownership group that's going to spend a lot more money and revive Newcastle to be what it was. And wouldn't that be exciting to be a part of that? I think the other side of it is like people still are looking at Newcastle like what Newcastle has been for the last few years, whereas it's this it's the flip for Manchester United, right? Manchester United is still considered Manchester United, even though they're in they've been a mess, right? Um, when you look at like Manchester City's building process, those early days they weren't signing the biggest stars and everyone wasn't clamoring to get to Manchester City. It happens over time. So I don't know. I I understand why Manchester United still has more appeal 
um, in some ways. But I think soccer-wise, I think it would be a, an interesting and positive move for Christian Pulisic. Yeah, I mean, I would just push back a little bit. Manchester City, I think, signed Robinho the same day that the UAE group took over, I want to say. So things did happen to a relatively quick level there. And then, of course, they signed Roque Santa Cruz, who, lest we forget, <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. I just like the name Roque Santa Cruz a lot. Brad Friedel's former teammate at Blackburn. I had what? a, a Paraguayan teammate who just loved Roque Santa Cruz. And so I, I we, we did a lot of, you know, wherever Roque Santa Cruz was playing at the time, I, I played against that team in FIFA a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I think Newcastle would be interesting for the reasons you mentioned. I don't know that he would be playing left wing there, though. You know, Alan Saint-Maximin Saint is out there on the left, and he's a really good player in his own right, who's been established at that club. Um, he would be competing with maybe Miguel Almiron for time on the right. Yeah, any <laughs> but, MLS fan will tell you, like, oh, like it's not like Newcastle's been brilliant for, like, out-and-out out attacking wingers. Like, Miguel yeah. Almiron hasn't hasn't torn it up in the Premier no, League at Newcastle. No, he's not. I'm sure he would play at Newcastle, but um, I don't, I'm just not sure that he would play on the left, uh, which would be... It's an interesting part of this to consider as well. Um, I just want to go back to the fact because I think we're, we're sort of, I think there is risk in moving to Manchester United. I mentioned that already, but I just wanted to, to mention that again. But Paul, moving this discussion along a little bit, what do you think this means for the national team? Do you think it means much of anything if he stays, if he goes? No, because, you know, Christian was not in a great place last year for Chelsea and was still essentially you know, a key contributor, not always a starter, right? He came off the bench a few times. I mean, it's it's worth noting that, right? But they found ways to keep him engaged and keep him relatively he productive. He wasn't very good in qualifying, though. He he led the team in goals. And when they needed him game. to step up the most, he did. Game. I'm not saying – I'm all I'm saying is, like, he was not great – like, he was in a bad place last year for Chelsea. He actually, like, vocalized it, which is very mm -hmm. rare for Christian Pulisic. And yet he was a part of the team and a big part of the team. Well, and that's going to be the case always, the World Cup. He's so, always going to be a big part of the team. Right. So does it matter like in like the real, real big picture? Yes. It matters. Like, do you want your player playing at their best possible level when they come to the World Cup? Yes. But like in the grand scheme, like Christian Pulisic is going to be on the World Cup team. He's going to probably start whether he's coming off the bench. That's, Chelsea, not, the, that's, not, the discussion. that's not the discussion whether or not Christian Pulisic is going to play for the U.S. the World Cup. Of course, he's going to play for the U.S. at the World Cup. The question, the question has to be: Is he going to be firing for the U.S. at the World Cup? Because if the U.S. wants to make any noise at the tournament, he needs to be right. And, but I think, I think that la last year in qualifying, he was not apart from a couple of games out of fourteen. Yeah, and he what? wasn't available for all of those. But they need him to be better than he was in qualifying if they're gonna if they're gonna achieve their goals in Qatar. And, and I, think, I don't I think know if staying it, at Chelsea is, is the way to do that. Maybe, maybe not. You know, I think, I think certainly you could, you could push and say, you know, Christian, this, this is motivating you, you know, to, to try to prove yourself. The world cup is a good chance to do that. Um, you know, I think you could spin it that way, but yeah, I think, I mean, the reason we're having this discussion is because Christian Pulisic is looking at it and saying, this is not an ideal situation in the months leading up to a world yeah. cup that I've been waiting for since I missed it in 2018, you know, he's been yeah. waiting a long time for this opportunity to go to a world cup and he wants to be playing his best soccer. And 
to do yeah. that, he's thinking I probably got to be playing. Chelsea. Yeah. He's got to be playing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Does it <laughs> matter for the U.S. That. national team? I think yes. I think it's clear that they feel strongly enough that he needs to play right now that a move to Manchester United that most people would say is not palatable could be for Christian because he needs to play. Con- he, he thinks it would be somewhere where he could play consistently ahead of the World Cup. Um, but like you pointed out, that there's it's such a huge unknown because like yeah. is he going to start at Manchester United? Is it going to remain a disaster? Are they going to add other it's all pieces? All about the odds, right? It's, it's just it's, all about the odds. We just it's and, so and like and also it's like you know when he left to go to Chelsea, we it was this huge move. It was massive for American soccer. What a great opportunity for Christian Pulisic. He was playing, you know, he had played so well at Dortmund for a while. He actually was like not playing consistently when this move happened. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this, but you don't know what you're walking into, right? He he signed with the club under one manager, and six months later, when he joined the club, it was a different manager, and and essentially eighteen months yeah. after that, and, it was a different that's, manager, that's and how it is at that's all, how it is. So at any club, at any club, really, any move is is it's a guess, it's a guess that's and a gamble. You hope that you're giving yourself better odds to be in a better situation. And so, do I think right now, knowing the devil, you know, right, is Chelsea. Like, do I think that the unknown of Newcastle and Manchester United might be a better situation on the surface? Yes, I do. I think, like, going in and being a guy that a manager selects and says, uh, yes, he'll help me, I want him here to help me, probably is a better situation than one right now where I think Tuchel just kind of looks at him and says, yeah, he can help us off the bench, you yeah. know, and I have other options. I, so do I think at, from a national team perspective, yeah, you're probably hoping he, wherever he goes, that he – becomes a starter and is in good form. And the more likely path to that is, is moving. Yep. I think, uh, I agree with you on all that. I think he will move. What about you? Now that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think after writing that story yesterday and, and the number of pieces that we're working on about Christian's potential move, you know, I think in, in the, um, in my life experience of, of things that you write about and coverage things like almost certainly ensures that he doesn't move. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, like you write like all this stuff about what it could mean and we're doing these podcast segments um yeah i mean i think it's complicated like you like you spelled it out like with his contract situation everything has to line up right and and chelsea has to feel comfortable that they're putting him in a place to that if they're going to send him on a loan that they're sending him on a loan somewhere where they can hopefully recoup their value if they need to sell him next year some, i think there, some it, of the value it, it's it's very <laughs> I feel like it's a coin flip right now, to be honest. I feel like it's a coin flip. Okay. Well, we'll see if it comes up Chelsea or Manchester United, or if this is a weird coin with four sides and someone ends up being someone else. If he moves, you think he's Uh moving. You think it's Manchester United or do you think it's Newcastle? Manchester United. I I don't think he wants Newcastle really. So I, I think he would choose to fight it out at Chelsea over that, which is a weird thing, but. I think that's what he would opt for. Anyway, um, we are going to bring it back across the Atlantic in the next segment, all the way across and then all the way across the continent to San Jose, to the Bay Area, all the way to the shores of the Pacific, uh, where the Quakes have hired Luchi Gonzalez. We're talking about that next. Stay with us. Allocation disorder. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Paul, we have we have a coaching move to discuss. Luchi Gonzalez is leaving the U.S. Men's National Team Assistant Coaching Corps post Qatar to take over after the world cup as head coach of the San Jose earthquakes. Luchi Gonzalez, of course, formerly of FC Dallas did what two and two thirds seasons as head coach of FCD made the playoffs in both of his full seasons in charge in Dallas. I think he had a record of 28 wins, 31 losses and 26 draws. That was his final record with FCD, um, but fired most of the way through the 2021 season which, of course, Dallas did not make the playoffs in. Uh, I thought that was an unfair move at the time. Dallas had sold a bunch of players in the previous, I would say, eight months, 12 months prior to his firing. They hadn't really replaced them at that point. Um, They hadn't gone on the spending spree, the relative spending spree that they went on this offseason, and they canned him for it. So I thought that was a bit ridiculous. But he ends up back in Major League Soccer, will lead a team in San Jose that has been really bad for a decade i would say like sometimes in the playoffs sometimes breaking through more often than they're not missing out never awful most mostly not awful but never good and it's an interesting project they've been at or near the bottom of the league in payroll Uh, they don't spend on transfer fees owner john fisher hasn't put much into it in those ways uh my initial reaction to this news paul was Hmm. I thought he would have gone to a different club. I thought that San Jose wouldn't have done it for him. And I thought he maybe would have waited for something else. I think it's a good hire for the quakes, but I was a bit surprised that Lucci took it. I thought he would have other opportunities that he might hold out for. What about you? Well, I definitely wasn't surprised just because this has been a move that was talked about for a while. He seemed to be the favorite in, but they hadn't interviewed him when like previous reports came out like that Landon Donovan was a finalist. They hadn't even spoken to him at that point. Yeah. I mean, that surprised me, um, you know, when we, when we heard that, but I, I think in general, I think on the surface, Lucci fits for what we've heard San Jose might want to be and probably not what might. they should be. Not might. They want to be this. I know I mean, where you're going. I know that I'd like to see it in action before I say that. Like this is like it does take time to be fair. I tell the people what we're talking so, about. So they they apparently want to be Philadelphia Union, right? They want to be youth or development FC focused. Dallas. Or FC Dallas, right? They want to spend as little money as possible on the first team. No, the that that the investment, the greater investment comes into the academy. And the hope is that you can develop good to very good starting players from your academy and sell them on and bring in new academy players. And we've seen Dallas do it effectively. And Philadelphia, I think, especially in recent years, has been doing it very well. And 
you know, it makes sense for San Jose in the sense that you're in a soccer rich area and the academy should be far better than it has been. And they they do have some they're showing, some they're showing good some homegrown things. players yeah. that are starting to come through, right? The talent yeah. clearly is there. And so if you're going in that direction, then you need a manager who believes in that. Mm-hmm. You need a manager who understands that putting young players on the field is the priority and that going through um, and committing to playing them, even when they're going to be making mistakes and maybe costing you points here and there is part of that process. And not every manager is able to do that. You know, some managers talk about it, but they're not, they don't all trust it enough. Mm-hmm. And I think to be fair, like the thing that surprises me about it with Lucci is that I, I would get him not trusting it because he did that at FC Dallas and then he got fired for it. You know, <laughs> like, like they sold players and then he put new young players on the field and then they weren't as good as they wanted to be. And then he got fired and he was like, wait a second. That's what, that's what the, the whole philosophy is, yeah. here, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think it fits, uh, Obviously, it fits that that you go and hire Lucci, who's done it before, who's played those young players, who's developed young players to to try to guide this team through that process and to trust these young players. The question I have is, are they going to have the processes in place to do what Philadelphia has done really well? And that sign the ancillary players around these academy players to find the right. right pieces to make you competitive day in and day out while these younger players develop and to understand kind of how you build those rosters. I don't know. I don't know yet. And I, we don't know for sure whether John Fisher is going to invest. I think it would be, you know, a change in policy to see him invest at a, you know, competitive clip, but, you know, I think the union probably would be considered well below average in terms of, of spending on the roster. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, can you then find the front office talent and the, the data people that can help you, unearth gems, right? Yeah. That becomes the question. I, I, I do want to throw something at you, Sam, because you have written. Wait, before, spoken- before you do that, I want to just read a quote, excuse me, from Luchi Gonzalez about investment. So just direct to what you were just speaking to. He said, I know that for me to be a part of a project to reach its potential, for me to optimize my ability as a head coach, my leadership as a head coach, then there has to be a minimum standard of investment and not just a minimum, but an ambition of investment in the staff and in the player pool and improving this roster. He said this yesterday at a news conference that he was unveiled at in San Jose. And I felt full commitment from that, from the leadership and from ownership. And I'm excited to see the club take that next step. So So, he's been told that he's going to get some money is what that says to me. We'll see how much. Anyway, what's what's this quote you're going to throw at me? I don't don't know about Paul between, between segments here, Paul was like, Oh, Sam, you're going to like this one. And I'm like, Wait, save it for the show. So I'm hearing it, it for speaks, the first time. I think it speaks to, to kind of to you a little bit. He, he said the perception, this is Lucci again at the press conference. Ooh, I love some perception talk. The perception of where the club is today is maybe worse than what it is. I think hmm. there's a lot of potential. The academy is growing. You have young players doing well. You have guys who are very dangerous offensively. You have a good core. Can we refine it? Can we grow it? Absolutely. But I think we have a good starting point, and it's going to be my job to prove that. Sam, do you think that the perception of the club today is worse than what it actually is? Um, hmm. It depends what you mean by club. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, I don't think the team is that terrible. You know, they haven't been awful since Almeida left and Cavello took over. I think they have some pieces that are decent in Abobasi and Jamiro Montero 
and and so on and so forth like across the route Cade Cowell being an interesting one Jackson Ewell solid MLS player like I think they have some solid building blocks in terms of players on the team I mean they are in 13th place with 24 points they are but but they also were winless in, in what their like first nine games like they dug themselves a massive hole so since since the coaching change I think they've been they've been all right they haven't been good but they've been all right and and to to Lucci's point there I think the team does have some pieces that you can kind of construct a solid MLS team around. Like they're going to need a little bit more. Espinoza, of course, has been a good player in MLS for a while now. So, so yeah, I think there are some things there. I think the academy is starting to produce more, and they have put more into that. So I want to credit them there. Um, but that being said, this is an organization that was allowed to atrophy for the better part of a decade. Uh, it might be a little bit better than it was a year or two ago or three. And maybe it's a little bit better than just, oh, San Jose, it's a complete disaster. But ownership hasn't given a crap about that organization. It hasn't. And, and like they can say, oh, well, these these results hurts. And, and John Fisher, he, he's present. He goes to the matches and stuff. But like, sure, like, but do something that matters. And maybe they're starting that process now. I really like this hire. Like, I think it's a good hire. I think yeah. Luchi Gonzalez is the guy that gets MLS and how it works. And he fits with their philosophy. And from what he's saying, there's going to be increased investment. And I think that's great. Uh, I hope, I hope it's all true. I hope it comes, I hope, it, I hope it bears out that way because they deserve better than what they've gotten out there, that fan base. But why is it taking so long? Like that's a fair thing to question and a fair thing to, to kind of poke at like yeah. for years and years and years, this club was comfortable operating at a level or levels below basically everyone else in MLS. And that deserves to be called out. Um, I do think they are improving, but it was such a low bar, Paul. Yeah. Like, of course they're like, they should be improving. You better be improving. Well, I, I do want to point out too. I agree with Lucci in that they do have good young players uh, mm-hmm. coming through the system right now. Um, you mentioned Not a one US of them. national team guys. You mentioned one of them, Kate Cowell, who I think, you know, there was an offer. I reported there was an offer from Rhymes in in uh, in France. Rhymes. Do you think that's I, how it's pronounced? Definitely not how it's pronounced. But we you never take a shot. Take a shot at it. Buster Rhymes. Stade Stade Rhymes. The rim. I, it's not. I don't that. know. That I don't speak French. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I I never pronounce things right on this show. English words, people's names. Certainly not French no. words. As we established at the top, only, you are an idiot. So <laughs> only, only when we say things like "ligue un," oh. at that point we pronounce things correctly. Yeah. But otherwise, I have a policy. I, I try not say, to. Oh. Um, Kick out for me is an interesting one. I thought that sale was was worth considering. Um, they probably did. They probably did. My mm, my idea of where his ceiling is and what you know, when to sell players. Uh, but beyond so, him, do you, not, do you think his ceiling isn't that high? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I think he's closer to his ceiling than, you know, they, that then people might want to acknowledge. Gotcha. Um, but that's okay. And if, and if you get that, if you sell him, that is a huge return on the investment. Right? that's the whole point of these homegrowns. Everyone's going to have different ceilings. Not everyone's going to be, Tyler Adams or Ricardo Pepe, $20 million sale, right? Like, or a $3 million sale in the case of Tyler Adams. <laughs> yeah. 
well, you know, sell-ons and all that from one <laughs> pocket to the other. But Cruz Medina is a is a, a very very talented young player who great I think we're going to see. By the way, can um, I just great, say that great name, great name, Nico Sakiris, another cool. young talented player, homegrown player who I think is going to start. I think under Lucci we'll see play Casey Walls. So they have young homegrown players who are in the U.S. Youth National Team system who have high expectations around them, and the question is how quickly do you get them on the field and and. You know, well, the question what, is, how much can they progress? How are they? Are they good? Can they make it? Yeah, right. But the but the but the right now the evidence is that these guys are progressing well. And then what you what do you need to take the next step? You need somebody who puts them on the field and yeah. who who opens the opportunity for them to play consistently. And sometimes that means moving players. Um, I, I mean, I'm not it's, again. It's not going to happen every time. But I think the Red Bulls trading Dax McCarty to open a to open a starting spot for Tyler Adams is probably the greatest example of that in in the recent years of mls um and so i i'm just interested to see how quickly that transition starts to happen under luchi gonzalez because i don't think he'll have any concern or fear about putting those guys out on the field. no no and it's getting a, it's a balance right because you need to compete too which yeah he's like we have to make the playoffs yeah, you want that quote? mixed what was the four-year thing that he said about winning the shield uh, if we haven't won the Supporter Shield or MLS Cup in the next four years, if I'm sitting here and we haven't won Supporter Shield or MLS Cup in four years, I'll be very disappointed. I think. All right. Well, it. let's let's just like end it on this. Is he going to be disappointed? Yes. <laughs> what? Why were you so quiet? <laughs> that's that's sad. Sad to say, it's it's MLS. We can't predict four years out. FC yeah, Dallas yeah. won a Supporter Shield in 2016. Sam. Okay. So. What's your point? So, so who's to stop the San Jose Earthquakes won a supporter shield in 2012? One of the best MLS teams of all time. One of and best meaning most fun, I would say. Um, maybe they'll run it back. I don't think it'll happen in the next four years. That doesn't mean they can't make progress and can't do good things. If if Lucci's first quote that you read is true, mm-hmm. if there is commitment, yeah. For, if they for, change, if they change the entire scope of how they operate, then yeah, like then they could do it. If they start signing $10 million players, yeah, they could do it. I, I think the point is I wouldn't put money down on it, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think on the whole, we think this is a good hire, uh, an interesting one, and I think a, a good direction for San Jose to hopefully pull themselves out of the doldrums and abyss that they've been flailing around in for the better part of 10 years. Uh, Paul, we have one more segment to go. We're going to talk a little bit about something we've touched on on previous editions of the show, but I wrote a big article about it that dropped earlier this week that inspired quite a bit of debate. So we can maybe have a little bit of a debate ourselves and see where we end up. Stay with us, Allocation Disorder. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit DirecTV.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I have a confession to make. Paul, 
I'm an old man. I'm an old man, and you know what my favorite thing to do is? Go outside and just scream at the clouds. <laughs> That's what I like to do. I actually had a line to that effect at the very last paragraph of this article I wrote on competitive balance that published earlier this week on The Athletic. <laughs> I was like, listen, I get it. I know you're rolling your eyes at me right now. I know I talk about this a decent amount. I know I'm shouting at clouds, but it's important, Paul. And my contention regarding this topic is that MLS is too balanced. <laughs> there needs to be an elite that can form a little bit more easily and have a little bit more definition around it while still maintaining parity, not advocating for the Bundesliga here. You can keep the playoffs, world's greatest equalizer. Just have a little bit more definition, a little bit less volatility. Allow the space and time for narratives to form so that you can have real measuring sticks for teams and fans to work off of. I think that would be helpful. But a lot of people disagree, or a lot of people, in my opinion, maybe struggle with their reading comprehension, or maybe I'm a giant <laughs> idiot. <laughs> but Paul, what do you, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think it's a little bit more refined now. What, what did you think of this whole discourse? Well, I want to start with one of the, the first comment on your story on The Athletic <laughs> um, from John S. We get a 4,000 plus word analysis about this, yet The Athletic doesn't cover the MLS All-Star Game in a true article. And I think that's a great point, Sam. 4,000 words about yeah. the state of the league, the competitive balance, the infrastructure, what could be done to make it more popular. Is this the right way? Is it not the right way? Next time, just throw that idea out the window and write a game story about the All-Star game. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I, I also, I thought it was funny that I, I saw a comment on Twitter that stuck with me about this story, which was like, Sam has a lot of good ideas about what could make the league better. This was a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's kind of like, you know, I, I think there is a real um, divide on, again, I think MLS fans, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, want the parody, right? They all want their team to have a chance to win it every year. The question for me is what, and that you were writing about here is, you know, is that actually the best thing for the league's growth, right? For, for driving interest in the, in the big picture. And is it really the worst, like, is it a bad thing to have elite teams that, that start to break away? And I agree that some level of parity is important, but that as do I, if you can't write, if you can't, if your structure of your league is designed in a way that never allows really good models to be created and really good teams to form and for people to aim for those teams and for people to hate those teams. And, you know, then it, I do think it, it limits the, the narrative, the, the long-term narrative around the league. And mm -hmm. so how do you find that balance? I don't know, but part of it is just kind of letting go of control a little bit and, and let the chips fall where they will. Um, but I get, I also understand that, you know, like the, the MLS fan, yeah. Joe, it's doesn't fun, want, man. Yeah, like he I wants at, his team to have a I chance. I was at Red Bull Arena last night to watch Charlotte and New York City. And Charlotte was, I don't know, I think in 12th entering the game. And New York City was in, I believe, third in the Eastern Conference entering the game. And like, it was a pretty good match. New York City pretty much dominated the first half but went down 1-0 eventually got one back and then charlotte scored a couple 
couple goals in the second to to come away with a 3-1 upset away win and it was a good entertaining game and i enjoyed it and i liked watching it and it was fun to be there in person but it, it's i don't know it, it's not really about us and it's not really about the season ticket holder that's not what my argument is about it's about attracting the people that aren't already in the boat and maybe i'm putting maybe i'm getting too far ahead of myself that like i talked to a high ranking executive at a club earlier before the article ran who basically said that like hey like yeah i hear what you're saying but like we still need to like we have a lot of work to do in our own local markets still and we we need to have we need to have this balance and everyone needs to matter in order for us to achieve that in the first place and, and I, I understand that i just think you can have it both ways i, I think i can have my cake and eat it too <laughs> or you can have an elite form still maintain a playoff structure that allows everyone to be in contention and you get the best of both. And I don't know. I wish they would allow for that to happen a little bit easier. I still think there are some caveats here. Like this could happen now in the current system. One, it's just a function of time and the league hasn't been around all that long. And some of the teams that could be this elite LAFC, for instance, Atlanta, they're babies. They've been around five, six years. Um, Part of it is incompetence, like sheer incompetence and mismanagement. The Galaxy could be this team. They have been one of these teams before. Toronto, same thing, right? But they've kind of blown it with their signings. Atlanta has as well, even though they haven't been around that long. Cincinnati, Chicago, Miami. There's a lot of big budget teams that have done a really poor job, (laughs) frankly, (laughs) or have been beset by injuries or, or what have you. But so that's part of this too. And there's going to naturally be volatility in a selling league as well. And I think the revs are probably a decent example of, 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 the, of an effect of that or a symptom of that where they set the major league soccer points record last season. And this year they're like fighting for their playoff lives in the middle of the pack or lower middle of the pack really. And, and why? Well, they sold three of their best players either before this season or in the first half of this season in Turner and Buxa and Buchanan. Now, that doesn't explain everything. They've had some injuries. They made some bad off-season signings of their own, and that has hurt as well. And they probably outperformed what they actually were in terms of quality last year too. But there's going to be some volatility baked in. But there's, I think there's too much uh, that's baked into the rules. Well, that's it, right? Yeah. That's where it comes down to is the rules are created to, to maintain this parity. And yeah. – and, and you mentioned it in the article, what you just said, you know, due to mismanagement of teams like Galaxy, Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago, Cincinnati, Miami. What is that? Where they've, like 10 teams. They've spent poorly. But <laughs> but part of the reason is because of the system in which they're spending. So you, if all of your spending is happening in three to four well, or five players, then if you miss on a few of those, I'm not saying that they that it's not mismanaged. I'm saying that yeah. part of the but the risk of getting something wrong is much higher under the, the margins are thinner. Is, the right? margins are thinner. Like yeah. if you miss on one of the three guys that you're, that you're going to spend on that are, you know, established big money players, you're in trouble in this league. Mm-hmm. Typically you're in big trouble yeah. um, because you're tied into that contract for three to five years. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that there is, um, I think that there is room for both. And you write about this too. The the parity is always going to exist in MLS because it's a playoff structure. Like yeah. Every team has a chance. That's, you know, or 14 teams have a chance at the end of the year to win a title. Um, 
I don't know. I just feel like I'm I'm more compelled to watch really good teams. And I think part of it is that, you know, I don't feel like right now we're seeing a league where there are 10 really good teams and that's the parody. Like, oh, there's like, there's no elite team, but there's really good teams in Seattle, Toronto, Atlanta, Miami, LAFC, LA Galaxy, Chicago, New York, Philly, yeah. Philly Dallas. You know, Dallas. Like, oh, then that would be great. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. But instead what we see is like, okay, like LAFC is better than everyone. Um, and New York was for a while, but they're not anymore. And then there's and like Philly's a good. lot of, yeah. and Philly's good, and but like not good. that yeah. much better than everyone else. Yeah. And you know, and it's then it's like a lot of like oh teams. They're like oh like it's a compelling playoff race because there's like seven meh teams fighting for three last playoff spots. That's less compelling. It's just less compelling. And, and so I guess this is all a matter of perspective. That's more yeah, compelling than some people. Yeah, but, I mean, I just think that like parity can be good, but you know, is there a way to get like higher level parity, like better teams? Like, well, yeah, there is. Spend more money. right shocker and like that's the part of this too is like none of this really even matters like mls will never be one of the top leagues in the world until it starts spending like one of the top leagues in the world and right now they don't have the revenue to even remotely justify doing that so i understand where they're coming from there but it's just kind of about maximizing what you can do with the current level of spend and we are both of the opinion that they're not quite doing that and you know it's it's a question of priorities Paul, I do want to lay out what my ideal would look like, okay? And and understanding that there are certain givens here that are in the realm of fantasy that it's just not going to happen, however much us or anyone else might like. So I'm just going to take promotion and relegation off the table. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Um, And I'm going to take removing the playoffs off the table as well. Also not going to happen. So if you're working within those parameters, I I would like to see what basically I laid out in the article. Call it six teams, right? Pick them out of a hat. It doesn't matter who. Right right now, conditions around the league, I think you could say it'd be LAFC, be Toronto, be New York City, it'd be Atlanta, maybe. Um, maybe Seattle and, I don't know, one other team. Galaxy, perhaps. I don't know. The big teams sort of form a core where most regular seasons, they are at or near the top of the table. All six of those teams would be in the top 10 every year for five years, say. And and most years they'd be duking it out for the Shield. And then playoffs, you go in as the favorite and you see what happens. Everyone else, it's not that the gap would be huge. There would be interlopers in that top 10. There would be teams that would have good years. But you'd have, you'd have a defined kind of core of, of squads that are better because maybe they're spending more, most likely. Or maybe they're spending... M- more than most and operating pretty well. And everyone else can use those teams as a measuring stick and something to chase. And year after year, those teams stay competitive. And maybe every five years, half of those teams rotate out and another half rotates in and you have a new cycle, just depending on who the stars are and what have you. But then you maintain the playoffs. So other markets can stay engaged. And I think that system, I don't know. I I just think it would be more compelling I don't know how many different ways I can say it, but I also think importantly, it would create a little bit more ambition down the scale. Yeah. Right. Because if you have something to chase, if you have something to chase, then you have to, you have to chase a little harder. And right now it's just like, well, the revs were at the top last year. No one's chasing the revs this year. No one really even took it all that seriously last year. And like, that's, 
I don't know. To me, that's not a great competitive environment. I think the X factor too, to me, is like we named all those. You named all those teams, and they're all like from big markets, right? The, the markets you think they're about not, usually. Though. Like but Seattle's not that big of a market. But that's the thing like, about MLS is like you could pull Dallas, also, like you can pull um, several several teams where there are Chicago, billionaires, Philly, in in not enormous markets that can be in that elite. I think for me, it's I, I struggle with like internally, like I. You know, I, I've, I talk about this all the time, but like, okay, like this playoff race right now, like on the surface, it is compelling that there are all these teams that are alive for these few spots. But, but, but then it happens like this every year and it's not working. It's been 27 years. Right, right. But the problem is it's like also it's like I, I look at the table and I get excited about these games and these matchups that should have this big impact on the table. But what I, I but when it comes to like sit down and watch the games, I'm a little less interested when I'm actually watching. I'm like, okay, this isn't as compelling as I thought it would be. And actually one of the, my favorite things to do is, is to just look at this table at the end of the weekend. Like, Oh, like what shifted? Let me look at the scores and look at the table, how that impact the playoff race without like caring as much about like getting into the games. Cause I just don't feel like, why? Like, I don't know. Like it just, they, I don't know. I just don't get as excited to tune into Charlotte NYCFC. Like you did like to, to go to that game. Like I, I just don't feel like, Oh, I need to watch that game. Like what, you know, what if, or like, let's look at this this weekend's game. It's just, it's like, what is making me want to watch, right? Like, if I were to go down the list of games this week, like, okay, Friday night's game with the Galaxy in Seattle, you know, that's probably a game I want to watch because of who you think the Galaxy should be and who you think Seattle should be. But like, am I going to go and tune into Montreal, New England, or Miami, Toronto has like huge playoff implications. Yeah, you know, I might so, tune into Miami, I mean, I, Toronto. I am yeah. very that as, would, as you know, I'm, one. I'm all in on Toronto FC right now. So I will, I, I try to watch them play whenever I can because they're they're compelling yeah, and fun that, to watch. That looks like a good one to me when I'm looking down the list. So there. I don't know. I just yeah. I feel like I feel like I'm torn because I do get compel. I do find this playoff race is compelling even though like these teams aren't elite, like I do, I am interested in who's going to end up in those final three spots in the East. Like, and I, I think like that that's like contradicted yourself. I, I know I, I, I'm not, I'm saying I'm interested in I'm the race. It's just, the it's, I, I just feel like I am interested in, in these playoff races, but I feel like that is not a, that's not something you're trying to get rid of in your, yeah, that's the thing. And your it structure, right? Like the, the, the playoffs are the playoffs. Like that yes. never changes if you have a playoff system, right? And There's I'm not, always that, a playoff. This is race. not this is not blow it up and and do something drastically different. This is a recalibration. That's yeah. what this is. This isn't like a drastic, drastic change that I'm calling for here. It's just like switch it up a little bit, create some conditions that maybe I'm not saying definitively, but maybe would allow for the addition of more casual fans or the addition of more potential new fans. Um, get those fence sitters onto your side of the fence for once. Do some do something different that you haven't really done or haven't had conditions that you've really allowed for in your 25 plus years of history, and maybe you'll get a different outcome. I don't yeah. know. Maybe you won't. Yeah. But I mean, but I don't. Th- but I don't think it'll hurt you either way. I yeah. don't think there's a downside to it. That's that's what I'm trying to say here. I think for me the the thing is like in the framing of it. Like again, like I said, like yeah, you're right. I am talking myself to not be and not because I do find these playoff races the idea of like who's going to end up where compelling, even if I don't want to watch every game of it. But at the same time, I think the idea is like, can we change the conditions in which these teams operate so that the level goes up? Right. Yeah. For, 
and and everyone has access to those levels going up that's the thing that like makes me laugh is like this is always framed as low like if you if you strip down some of these conditions to allow teams to have more freedom to spend in the ways that they will, that that will eliminate the chances for Kansas city or Houston or whoever to be competitive. And that's just not true. It's, it's not true. You have ownership groups now in almost every single market who can spend at a very high level or who can find ways to be competitive, even when they're not like Philadelphia this year and, or last year or the year before. Right. So like you have to, I just think like, it's like that, that this idea is instead of, instead of framing it as like, let's form an elite that never changes that. No, it's it's this idea that like by stripping down, stripping away some of these restrictions, it opens the door for an elite for, for teams to get way better and and opens the door for that possibility. But it doesn't mean that it eliminates it wouldn't be your calcified team. and things. Yeah. And maybe I should have done a better job of framing that, Paul. No, I, I don't think it's about, I don't think you frame. I think that like the idea of like, oh, parody is bad. Yeah. You know what? I think we can blame it on our editors for whatever headline they wrote. This yeah, is their, their fault. fault. This is definitely yes. their fault. This we is can their agree fault. On that we sure. did everything right as usual. I'm per kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, anyway. I think we've shouted at clouds enough for this segment. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I just, whenever we can end allocation disorder, talking about the things that people get mad at us for talking about all the time, I think we've done our job. Hey, at least we saved it for the last segment this time around. Right. Yeah. So they, they could listen to 30 or 40 minutes or whatever it was. And then, and then stop listening. Yeah, and we warned you at the very beginning. We told you we are idiots. And by the yeah. end, we confirmed it. This is your fault for listening to us. You did this 100%. to yourself. It's the editors and it's the listeners. It's never That's us, right. Sam. That's right. That's right. It's never our fault. Thanks for listening to Allocation Disorder.